Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Second Corinthians chapter 12 is where we left, actually we left off in chapter 11 last week. And here we are at chapter 12. Uh, the last chapter or a little bit more than the last chapter, Paul has been addressing an issue in Corinth with false apostles. False, false apostles that have uh, crept into the church after Paul left. And they were boasting about their, you know, they were super apostles. They had this insight and, and uh, they were really leading a lot of people astray there in Corinth. And so Paul is addressing these false apostles um, in this letter, this portion of this letter. And one of the things that Paul is, is really going to bring out in this portion here is the boasting, the, the, the pride of these false apostles that were saying that they were something when in reality they were not. They were nothing. They were false teachers. And so Paul here in verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1 says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions... And revelations of the Lord. Now, it makes you wonder, did the false apostles talk about these visions that they had? Uh, it's possible. We know in the Old Testament, there would be false prophets that would prophesy in the name of the Lord. And, and God would say, they're not speaking for me. I never sent them. And so that could have been the case here. But Paul says, it's doubtless and not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Paul had visions genuine visions and revelations of the Lord. But he says it's not profitable for me or not advantageous or beneficial for me to boast about them. Why? Well, because he didn't want to... Um, uh, well, let, let, me, let me back up here. What is boasting? Boasting is, the word actually in the King James Version is glory. And it means to vaunt with or without reason. And, you know, some people boast without reason. Have you ever had anybody that you've known that's boasted without reason? Um, we, uh, when we were just, uh, we had bought this building and, and it was a, a, uh, a thrift store before and so we needed to renovate it and, and do a lot of changing. And one of the things we did was we put up a lot of walls and sheetrock and, uh, you know, we're painting and stuff. And my wife is a very, she's, she's a gifted painter when it comes to house painting and she loves doing it. And so, she, you know, we were doing a lot of the painting ourselves. And we had an individual that came to us and said, you know, I'm a really good painter and I, I, I just want to paint and uh, I've painted at this place and, you know, and they, they just, they just talked it up. And so we're like, well, shoot, yeah, you can help us. Well, it turned out she was boasting without, uh, without reason because we ended up having to follow behind a lot of the work and, uh, and cover, cover up stuff. And, and anyways, um, I used to work with a guy and, uh, he, I don't know if you ever heard of somebody that are described as a legend in their own time. Well, this guy was a legend in his own mind. And uh, it was just, that was his nickname that we had for him because, I mean, the guy would just, he would boast without reason. But Paul had reason to boast. He had visions. Is my thing not on or something? Move it down. Move it down. Okay. Apologize for that technical difficulty. Paul had reasons to boast. Um, he's going to share here about a vision and a revelation that he had. Um, and, and he's going to be talking, we'll be talking about that in a couple verses here. 
Paul also, if you recall, when he came to faith in Christ Jesus, he was on the road to Damascus going to persecute uh, followers of the way, and Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, Jesus himself, and spoke to him. That was one that, that was the very first time that Paul had a vision or a revelation of Jesus. Later on, and we read in Acts chapter 16, Paul had a vision of a Macedonian man that was really, it was a call for Paul and the, the men that were with him to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel there. That was a vision that Paul had. In Acts chapter 18, when Paul is in Corinth, the Lord encouraged Paul in a dream at Corinth. Later on in Acts chapter 23, when Paul is arrested and he is there in Jerusalem, he's in the barracks, the Roman soldiers, had, there was a riot starting. The people wanted to rip him apart because they thought he was, you know, he was just destroying Judaism. And, and so the, the Roman soldiers grabbed him, brought him into the barracks. And so he's in prison there in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 23, it says that the Lord spoke to Paul while he was there in prison. Later on in Acts chapter 27, before their ship that they were on sailing to Rome, as Paul appealed to Caesar, he's on the way to Rome, uh, it's about to shipwreck, it's about to run aground. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul at that night and, and encouraged and comforted Paul. So Paul, of anybody, had reason to boast about visions and revelations of the Lord, but he's reluctant to. He says, it's not beneficial for me to do that. And why? And that's a question I asked earlier. He recognized the danger of pride. Pride is a very dangerous thing. And we'll look at that as we go in this a little further. So he says there in verse one, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord I know a man, verse 2 there, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to, to the uh, third heaven. Now what's interesting about this passage of scripture is we don't know anything else about it other than what Paul says here. We don't know when this happened. Um, we have some, I think we can make an educated guess as to why it happened. But notice that Paul says, hey, I wanna share something that happened 14 years ago. Again, this is the first and, and only time it's mentioned in scriptures. You know, if it was me, I would have signed a book deal. I would have had a movie that would have been popular on Netflix, you know? It's like my vision of the Lord and this is what happened, you know? He didn't do that. He didn't go on a, a revelation tour, you know, going around the country to speak at different churches about his vision that he had. He didn't do that. 14 years went by and he doesn't say anything about it. Why? Because he knows the danger of pride. He's learned what the danger of pride is. Well, why? You might say, well, okay, 14 years. Why is he doing it now after 14 years? Well, the reason why is these false apostles had forced his hand. They were claiming things, and it wasn't that Paul was trying to defend his honor, but you see, Paul had a message and a ministry. And if Paul's message, or if Paul's ministry, if Paul himself could be, uh, uh, could be uh, sidelined or, or discounted, well, then his message could be discounted, the message of the gospel. And so that's why Paul's defending himself. It wasn't that his pride was hurt. Oh, those, I can't believe they're saying that. It's because he realized the danger in not saying something at this point. But he's reluctant to do it. 
And so he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for men to uh, utter. So again, we can guess, I would say, and I think a lot of commentators, a lot of people that study the Bible would, would probably agree that in all likeliness, this occurred in Acts chapter 14 when Paul was at Lystra. When Paul was at Lystra, uh, the, the, the inhabitants of the city stoned him. They dragged him out of the city. They figured they had killed Paul, and they left him, out in the, they left him for dead, basically. And, uh, and so it's possible, again, we don't really know, it's just a, just a conjecture, that this is when it happened. Paul says that he was caught up to the third heaven. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Is there like three heavens? Well, actually, there kind of is as far as scriptures goes. The first heaven is really what you would consider the atmosphere. Our atmosphere is getting a little turbulent outside right now. We're getting, I was watching as we were doing worship, and it's like it's getting grayer and grayer. I love storms. Not when I'm in them, but I love watching them. And uh, if I wasn't preaching right now, I'd be outside watching the storms. Don't go outside, guys. Stay in here. <laughs> but the first heaven is our atmosphere. The second heaven would be what the Bible considers outer space or the universe, you know, where the stars and the sun and the moon are. The third heaven is what you and I would, in general terms, think of as heaven, the place where God dwells. It's a dimension very close to us, and yet it's outside of time and space, heaven. Paul says he was caught up to the third heaven. That's an interesting word, by the way, caught up. The Greek word, or excuse me, uh, yeah, the Greek word is harpazo, harpazo. In the Latin Vulgate, it's translated rapturus, and that's where the English, it's later changed in the English to rapture. So a lot of people say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, it technically is, but it's not in that form. It's this word, this word uh, harpazo, being caught up. So Paul was, in a sense, in a reality, in, in a way, raptured, to heaven. Now, in Paul's case, he doesn't even know if it was physical or if it was just a vision. He doesn't know, and we don't either, okay? We, we don't know either. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to me, and I'm going to just kind of go off on a little, bit of a, a little bit of a tangent here, so to speak. But, you know, the word rapture, or not the word rapture, but the picture of what takes place in the rapture, or what will take place in the it's throughout the Bible. We can see it in a lot of different places. Um, there's some very interesting pictures of people being raptured in the Bible. One of them is in the Old Testament. Very early on in the Old Testament, in fact, a guy by the name of Enoch. In Genesis 5, chapter 24, it says, And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. There he goes. Poof, he's gone. In the New Testament... One of the followers of Christ, one of the disciples, I would call him an apostle, I'm, I'm assuming he is an apostle, Philip, in Acts chapter 8, 39. That's the story where, where, where he's got ministry is just, just going crazy where he's at, and, and the Spirit tells him to go out to some country road way out in the middle of nowhere, and he goes. And he runs into, or he doesn't run into, but he meets an Ethiopian eunuch that's leaving Jerusalem. And he starts talking to the Ethiopian eunuch and he leads the guy to the Lord in faith. 
Well, it says, and then the, the, the guy says, hey, is there anything preventing me from being baptized? And, and uh, Paul, uh, excuse me, Philip says, yeah, let's go for it. And so they, he gets out the chariot. Uh, Philip baptizes him in the name of the Lord. And it says this in Acts chapter 8, 39. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught up Philip. That's that same word, harpazo, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Another picture there. Another one that I think is kind of interesting is in the book of Revelation, the apostle John. In Revelation, and you know, we just went through Revelation, I don't know, uh, this last, I think it was, it might have been a year now, I'm not sure, but uh, we did a study through Revelation. And, you know, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but some people like to shy away from the book of Revelation because it's like, it's such a difficult thing to understand. It's actually not that difficult. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 19, we're given an outline of the entire book of Revelation so that you can kind of figure out what you're doing when you're reading it. In Revelation 1, verse 19, it says, Write the things, this is the Lord speaking to uh, John, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. That's the outline of the book of Revelation, by the way. Revelation chapter 1, which are the, what have you seen? Write the things that you've seen. Well, Revelation chapter 1, John has a vision of Jesus Christ in his resurrected glory. And then he writes all about the resurrected Christ in his glory. The things which are, are chapters 2 and chapter 3, where uh, John is told to write, or Jesus quote, dictates basically seven letters to seven churches that were in existence at the time. And these letters, are, are they apply even to throughout the church age to us even today. These are the things which are, chapters 2 verse and, and chapter 3. It's a message that still applies to the church, which is in existence, not necessarily those particular churches, but the church is in existence today. It's, it's, it's covering the church age. And then write the things which will take place after this. Well, after what? Well, after the things which are, which is the church age. Uh, again, chap that's chapters 4 through 22. That's the rest of the book of Revelation. Now, why I bring that up is because at the end of chapter 3, which chapter 3 is the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, at the end of that, at the very beginning of chapter 4, which is the things which will take place after this, in other words, after the church age, it says here, I want to read it to you, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And then he's given the, the vision of everything that's going to take place after the church age, the, the tribulation, the great tribulation, and the return of Christ. Very fascinating. So, Paul here, he doesn't know if he was physically or if it was just a vision, raptured up into heaven, caught up into heaven. And here Paul is so careful to boast about it, or to, I should say not to boast about it, that for 14 years, as far as we know, he never told anyone about it. There's silence. And even when he does tell about it, he doesn't say, hey, Man, I went up to heaven. Man, check it out. You know, he says, I know such a man. He won't even, he, he's speaking in the third person. He won't even acknowledge that it's him. And what fascinates me too is he says, I know a man, a man in Christ. That's a good thing to remember. You know, we're in Christ. 
Paul says, hey, you know, I was, um, I was such a good apostle that Jesus sent me up there to take a look, check things out. He says, man, a man in Christ. His identity was in Christ. His identity wasn't in himself. He heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful to utter. Um, he won't even describe what he saw or what he heard. So there's two things that we don't know from this. First of all, we don't know whether it was a bodily or a physical uh, thing that Paul, it was a vision or physically, we don't know because he even says it twice, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. So Paul doesn't know, we certainly don't know. We also don't know what Paul said and heard. It would be very presumptuous to assume. And in fact, if you go look at some of the commentaries, that's exactly what happens. Some of the people say, well, Paul heard this or, you know, this is what happened. And so it's like, how do they know? If someone comes to you and says, well, I know it's like danger, Will Robinson, you know, danger, you know, stay away, watch out. I, and seriously, watch out if someone tells you something that scripture doesn't, doesn't say. So if the stoning at Lystra was the event, again, we don't know that either. If that was the event when Paul was caught up in heaven, we don't know what he saw or heard. We don't know if it was physical or if it was a spiritual, just a vision that he had. But one thing we do know is the impact that it had on Paul. Because if you read that story when he was stoned at Lystra and left for dead, the apostles gathered around and they're probably ready to bury him. They're mourning over him. He gets up and he goes right back into the city. And the next day they take off and they go to, uh, uh, the next day him and Barnabas goes up and they go to Derby, and they start preaching in that city. And then after that, they go to the next city and start preaching. They go to the next city and start preaching. Nothing's going to stop Paul from sharing the gospel because of what he saw and what he heard. It had an impact on him. One of the things that he didn't do, he didn't uh, make a YouTube video that went viral. <laughs> he didn't, you know, start a YouTube channel and become a social media influencer. Um, but that's because he wasn't proud. He wasn't boastful. Verse 5. Of such a one, of this person... I will, excuse me, of such a one I will boast yet of myself, I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Paul says, I'm not going to boast about myself except in my infirmities. Now, infirmities can mean illness. Uh, physical illness or sickness. It can mean weakness. It can also mean some other kind of weakness or inability. Again, we don't really know exactly what Paul is saying. But Paul wouldn't boast in his strengths, but only in his weaknesses, whatever they were. And I think about it. You know, how many of us, uh, you know, we like to boast at what we're good at. This person that told us about how good they were at painting, it's like, okay, we'll take your word for it. And then it turned out it's not true. You know, how many people boast about what they're good at, but, you know, we don't really want to bring up what we're not good at, you know, it's not like, hey, I'm really bad at that, you know, we don't do that, right? We want to we kind of protect our, our reputation. Paul's like, man, I'm not going to boast about anything about except for what I'm not good at, what I'm bad at, what I fail at, my weaknesses, I'm not, that's what I'm going to boast about. He says, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. Listen, Paul was a human, excuse me, Paul was a human. He was a man, and 
he was tempted to boast, just like you or I would be tempted to boast in a situation like that. The temptation was there, but he wouldn't give in to the temptation. He says, I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Paul did not want to leave anybody with a false impression of him. You know, sometimes that's a temptation. It's a temptation for me, you know. To, I want people to think that I have it all together, when in reality there's many times more often than not that I don't have it all together. I'm like just clinging, you know, I'm just hanging in there. But I don't want you to know that, so I get this, you know, I have to keep this facade up and stuff. You know, that's a thing that it's a temptation to do. Paul wouldn't do that. Paul was transparent and open with those around him. Verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. A thorn in the flesh. Now, um, we're growing some uh, uh, cucumbers out here. In fact, there's a, there, I think there's a few that are ripe there if you want to take any home today. Um, there are some cucumbers out there, and we have some cucumbers that, how, I don't know which ones they are. I think they both are, but they got these little prickly I'm like, man, ouch, they actually kind of hurt those. You know, it's got a little, little prickly thing. Um, and sometimes you think about thorns, like if you have a rose bush and, you, you know, ah, that's a thorn there. This, by the way, is not what Paul's talking about. The, the word that he's using for thorn is actually like a tent stake. And the picture is the type of a tent stake that they used to, they used to pound in the ground for the Bedouins to set up their tents. I mean, they're huge. This is the thorn that Paul is talking about. It's not a minor irritation. It's a major thing that he was dealing with. And it was something that affected him bodily. In other words, because he says it's in the flesh. Something that bothered, bothered him bodily. Now, some have suggested that Paul had eye problems, maybe. Some say that he had severe migraine headaches, um, could be. Some say that he has malaria, or had malaria, I should say. I am clueless. Um, it could even be all the physical affliction, afflictions that he endured in chapter 11 that we looked at last week. It could be that too. We don't know what the thorn was. But I think there's some things that are kind of interesting in this passage. First of all, you'll notice that Paul says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A given. Almost like it was a gift or something, right? In other words, what Paul is saying is that God permitted me to have this thorn in the flesh. And he calls it a messenger of Satan. The word messenger is the word angelos, and it means angel. And so I, all what I can say is there was a spiritual aspect to this thorn in the flesh. There was a spiritual, it was a spiritual type of an attack that affected him bodily or physically. That's one thing I think that's interesting that it was given to him. Do you guys remember the story of Job in the Old Testament? You know, if you read the book of Job, it's very fascinating. I mean, you get in the middle, and it's, it's kind of, it, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming when you read in the middle. But if you read the first couple chapters and the last couple chapters, man, I tell you, it's very fascinating. I, I would encourage you to read the whole thing, by the way. But in the beginning, the devil needed permission from God to afflict Job. He needed permission. And God says, okay, I'm going to allow you to do this, but you can only go so far. There was a limitation on what he could do. Now, there was a purpose behind it. 
The purpose behind it was that God wanted to show Satan, the devil, that Job's love for him wasn't based on all the good things that God had done for Job. That how God had just blessed him, he had an abundant life. It wasn't nothing like that. God says, I want to show you that he loves me because he loves me and not because of what I do for him or what I give to him. That was the purpose behind it. In the New Testament, before Jesus Christ is, uh, is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and before he's crucified, he tells Peter very, something very interesting. He basically says that Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. So in other words, the devil needed permission from God to sift Peter as wheat. Again, there was a purpose behind it. What was the purpose? It was to strengthen Peter's faith so he would in turn strengthen the church. You go, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus says, Peter, I'm praying for you. And he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. There's the purpose. It's to strengthen you so now you can go and strengthen others. You know, the thing with Satan, though, he probably jumped just like he did with Job and just like he did with Peter. And what he probably did with Paul, too, is he probably jumped at the chance to silence or to stop Paul in any way possible. We just last week looked at all these afflictions that Paul endured in his ministry. The enemy wanted to silence him. The enemy wants to silence you and then stop you in any way possible, too. Satan has a purpose. The purpose here that Paul is talking about was to buffet me, not to buffet me, but to buffet me. I like to buffet my body. I don't buffet it too often, but I like to buffet my body. But Satan's purpose was to buffet. That word buffet means to strike a blow, to hit with the fist. And, and it, it, if you get a picture, it's like getting a gut punch. If you ever had a gut punch before, you know what that feels like. Or a sucker punch where you didn't see it coming. Wow, you get smacked upside the head. Or uh, a kidney punch. You know, it's something that hits you and it's just like it just, it just knocks the wind out of you. That's the picture. That's what Satan wants to do. And for those of you that have been afflicted with things, you know that's exactly what happens sometimes. It's like, man, I, it just knocked the wind out of me. I, I didn't see that thing coming. So Satan had a purpose. It was to buffet Paul, to silence him, to stop him, to destroy him in any way possible. But God had a purpose in allowing it to occur in Paul's life. And the purpose, Paul mentions it twice, lest I should be exalted above measure. It was to keep Paul from becoming proud and boastful so he wouldn't do that YouTube video. So he wouldn't go on the book tour and make movies and stuff like that and, and do the, uh, the Revelation tour, you know. Um, if you think about Paul, think about all those visions and revelations that Paul had. How many visions and revelations have you had? Don't raise your hand. I'm just rhetorically saying that. You know, if you had as many, maybe you do, if you had as many as Paul did, Man, it, it, would, it, would be a, it would be tempting to think, man, that God must really, you know, he likes to confide in me, you know. There's something about me that God likes. But why did Paul have all those visions and revelations? Think about it. It was to encourage Paul and to guide Paul. And like with the Macedonian man, it was to guide Paul into Macedonia. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament the majority of the New Testament, those books that Paul wrote, those were letters that basically most of the New Testament is Paul would start a church, he would leave. 
some false teachers or some weird stuff would occur in the church and they'd write Paul a letter. They didn't have an email. They didn't know what his address was. He wasn't on Facebook. So they'd send Paul a letter. Hey, Paul, this is what's going on in the church. And Paul would say, okay, let me address it. And he would address it in a letter. And that's what we have. That's what the scriptures, that most of the New Testament scriptures are Paul dealing with issues in the new first century church. Those letters that Paul wrote, they still guide the church to this day. Everything that we do in this church is based on what I read in the New Testament about what, how, what, how, what church looks like, what it should look like. Most of that, not all of it, but most of it comes from the Apostle Paul. He had a very important ministry not only that, but he was instrumental in the exponential growth of the church in the first century. And so it was so important for Paul not to get prideful because if it did, if he did, it would have derailed God's purpose for Paul. Pride is such an issue. Pride is what, it was the original sin. It's what led Lucifer to rebel against God in heaven. It was Lucifer's pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 11, 2, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 17, 19, he who loves transgression loves strife and he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. Pride is dangerous. God had a purpose for allowing Paul to have that thorn in the flesh. And I want to encourage you in something here. If you have a born-again relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, Satan does not have free reign over you. He does not have free reign over you. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, sorry, I can't, I can't address that. You're free game. But if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, Satan does not have free reign over you. Nothing happens outside of the providence of God's perfect, permissive will for you. You might say, well, what's, I'm going on with this stuff's going on. You mean God has allowed it? He has. I'm hoping that that is an encouragement for you today. You know, in what's going on with us around here, I read of conspiracies. Is everything just this master plot? You know, it, it beats me. I'm not that smart. It could be. I don't know. I do know and I do believe it's being used for political purposes. Absolutely. There's politics being involved in a lot. I do know that it's also being used for evil purposes. No doubt. You know, the enemy is using the government to try to silence the churches in California, for example. No doubt. By the way, I'm not going on to the pros or cons of any of that stuff. I just, I, I just, I'm, people are taking advantage of it. The enemy is taking advantage of it. Whether it's an overall conspiracy, um, I'll leave that up to the conspiracists. But one thing I do know, and I, one thing I want to encourage you with, because, you know, this is a very difficult time for everybody. 
there was a pastor that uh, drove into the parking lot. Actually, I just, I'm like, who's this guy? He's looking in the building. We were doing worship practice Thursday night. I'm like, who is that guy? I don't recognize him. It's hard to recognize everybody without face masks. I'm like, it looks like a bank robber, but I'll go out there and talk to him. And so everybody looks like a bank robber. You know, I had this, by the way, we were singing this morning and I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to take, swing the camera back. It's like the first time you've ever seen bank robbers worshiping the Lord. You know, everybody's, you know, praising God. It would have been kind of fun. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So anyways, this guy comes in. <laughs> I had a senior moment there. <laughs> a guy walks or he drives up and I'm like, I don't recognize. So I went out there. Well, it turned out to be a friend of mine, another pastor here in Rochester. And uh, we hadn't seen each other in quite a while. And so I'm like, how are you doing? And uh, so, yeah, you know, things are a little tough. He goes, hey, man, it's everybody's struggling with this, which is so true. Everybody is struggling in one way or another with God's what's got what's going on around us. But I want to encourage you in this because sometimes it can seem like, man, uh, it's just, it's overwhelming. There's this big plot to destroy everything. Listen, God has allowed it. There's a purpose behind it. Now, I don't know what the purpose is, but God has allowed it. I don't know yet what the purpose is, but you know what? I can trust that he's allowed it and that he has a purpose in it. Why? Because scripture says this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things, even COVID-19, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That's God's word. It's not Pastor Don being Mr. Optimistic. That's God's word. Even COVID-19, God is allowing it and he's working it together for good in your life and my life, the church. Again, I can't speak about people that don't have a relationship with the Lord, but for you and I, we can take comfort and we can take strength in that. Listen, in the middle of Paul's suffering with this thorn in the flesh, Paul's like, like, hey, God's just given me a thorn in the flesh. That's cool, man. I know he's going to do something good with it. Maybe he thought that. But, you know, it's interesting. Paul knew he was suffering and it was difficult to bear. Look at verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Paul struggled with his affliction, whatever it was. It, he, he's human, just like you. He was tempted to he was tempted to boast, and he's crying out, "Lord, take this away from me! It's too much." A couple things I want to bring up too. If it was in fact a bodily affliction, an illness, or a sickness, whatever it was, and I want to just say this, bear with me. I find it interesting that Paul didn't claim his healing. I, I just find that interesting. I also find it interesting that whether it was, remember he says it was a messenger of Satan, whether it was a bodily affliction or not, Paul didn't rebuke Satan. We don't, we don't read that here. Now, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm not trying to mess with anybody, but I do think that this scripture flies in the face of some teaching that I think is a little off base, scripturally, biblically. I really do believe that. So I just find it interesting. It wasn't that Paul didn't have enough faith to remove this affliction. Paul of all people, right? It was God's purpose to allow it and not to remove it. God said no to Paul, basically. Verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That was God's answer. 
take this away from me, Lord. The Lord says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace, listen, God's grace is strong. How do I know it's strong? It saved a wretch like John Newton, a former slave trader. It saved a wretch like him. It saved a wretch like you, sorry, and me. <laughs> we're, we're all wretches when it comes to grace. God's grace is strong. God's grace is available. Yes, Lord. God, sorry. God's grace is available. It's available all the time. God's grace is limited, or excuse me, limitless. There's no limit to God's grace. And God's grace in your life and in my life, it proves that God loves you. He's accepted you and he has pleasure in you and I who we don't even deserve it. And so God says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. It suffices. It satisfies. It's strong and able to assist you and to bear you up under any difficulty. And guess what? It's for you. It's for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. I like, I don't always like to quote commentary, commentators because they're so common, but no. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I, I just want to quote this. It's out of Jameson Fawcett Brown's commentary about this verse. It says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It says, the Lord has more need of our weakness than of our strength. Our strength is often his rival. Our weakness his servant, drawing on his resources and showing forth his glory. That's why pride is such an issue. Pride gets in the way of what God wants to do in your and my life. He goes on to say, or they go on to say, man's extremity is God's opportunity. What it means is when you're at the end of, the ro end of your rope, God says, okay, now I can actually do stuff you're out of the way. Now I can actually accomplish things. Man's security is Satan's opportunity. There's a lot of people in this world right now that feel pretty secure about themselves and the enemy wants to keep them that way and they're lost and on their way to hell. Man's security is Satan's opportunity. God's way is not to take his children out of trial but to give them strength to bear up against it. Remember Jesus praying for his apostles. In John 17, verse 15, says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. That was the Lord's prayer for his, his followers. When we talk about this thorn in the flesh, don't you want to know what it was? And, you know, you can read the, the, read the books and people say, well, it was eye problems, it was this, it was that. I would encourage you be glad that you don't know what his thorn was. Why would I say that? Because if you knew exactly what the thorn was, an eye problem or anything, you would think, okay, well, you know, that's just that situation and God's just dealing with Paul in that unique situation. I've got something totally different. Nobody has what I, nobody's dealing with what I'm dealing with. We don't know why, because this applies to us in whatever affliction we have. This answer applies to you and to me. God's strength is sufficient for his power is made perfect in your and my weakness. 
And so Paul learned something. And again, he didn't learn it overnight. He prayed three times. Was it like three times in a row? Was it like once every year, you know, every few days? We don't know. Could have been every decade Paul was praying. I don't know if it was every decade, but Paul at first didn't learn this. But as a result, God's answer to him, Paul learned about suffering for Christ's sake. Look at the second half of verse 9. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul would write this to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, Paul was on his way to Jerusalem and... Uh, He's, uh, yeah, he's, he stopped at Miletus, and he didn't go into Ephesus, but he called for the leaders, the elders of the, the church at Ephesus to meet him at Miletus, and he wanted to impart something to him because Paul probably feared he wouldn't see them again. And people had been prophesying to Paul that, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be in chains, you're going to suffer. In fact, when, when Paul was saved, the Lord Je and he relates to it later on in Acts chapter, I think, 26, Jesus it says Jesus told him all the things that he would suffer for, for his sake. Paul says this to the, Ephesus, to the leaders, at, at, uh, the, the elders of the Ephesus church. He says in Acts 20, verse 22 through 24, he says, And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul learned not to be prideful. Paul learned even in his afflictions that God's grace was strong enough, available, limitless, and it was sufficient to carry him through whatever he was going through. And I'm glad that I don't know exactly what it was because I know that for me, that's the same thing. I can trust God. I know he loves me. He's, I mean, he died for me. He's, he's extended his grace to me, the least of people that should deserve it. He did that for me. So, in conclusion of this passage of scripture here, first of all, we talked a lot about pride in the beginning. Now, if you're a prideful person, and you know what, if you're prideful, you probably won't admit, you're too proud to admit that you're prideful, right? But so, if you have pride, if you're dealing, maybe the Holy Spirit's pricking your heart right now, and you're like, you know, you know, I tend to say things, you know, I tend to try to project that I'm something that I'm not. I want to encourage you to learn from Paul. Learn from Paul about pride. James wrote this in James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Don't wait till somebody else or the Lord humbles you. Humble yourself and the Lord will lift you up. It's a lot less painful. Believe me, I can speak from experience. God works through humble, broken vessels. 
our pride, our physical abilities, our natural talents, you know, they can get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. Are you suffering affliction? You might say, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, have, the, I don't have an eye problem. I don't have this, you know, you have some kind of a thorn in the flesh. It, I don't know what it could be, but I want to encourage you. Now, I have to qualify this for you. If you're suffering for Christ's sake, because Paul says suffering for Christ's sake, if you've, are you suffering for Christ's sake or for foolishness sake? Okay, I've got to just qualify that. If you're suffering as a believer because you've done something stupid and now you're paying the price for it, I get encouragement for you, by the way. Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Maybe you've got a thorn in the flesh and it's because of something you've done. You've, you know, you've sinned in some way and now you're paying the price for it. If you're being chastened by the Lord, take heart. God loves you. He's not doing it to destroy you. He loves you. He's lovingly correcting you for your own good. And so my word to you is trust him and submit under his discipline and learn from it. That's my encouragement. If you are suffering for foolishness sake. If you're suffering for Christ's sake, it's almost the same thing. God loves you. He has a good purpose in allowing it in your life. Be encouraged that there's a limit to what he will allow and trust him. Don't let the devil steal your joy in the midst of your suffering. And that's a very difficult thing, but I want to encourage you in that. Don't let the enemy, he just wants to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. Don't let him do that. You know, when I was in the, uh, the military, I was in the U.S. Coast Guard, and uh, I went from being a, uh, just this uh, 17 or 18-year-old guy with, you know, very little responsibility. Um, I liked to party, and I didn't like to work hard. I mean, I, I think I learned a work ethic from my father, so I, I did work hard. But, I mean, you know, I like to... I like to take it easy. I mean, the easy route's always the fun route, right? Um, and then I went into boot camp, and it was different, <laughs> you know? Um, they afflicted me day in and day out, sometimes in the middle of the night. Two in the morning, they're afflicting me, making me go out onto a parade ground and do all, what they call lizard patrol. And all. It's just weird stuff. I was afflicted. The entire time I was in there, I felt like they were out to get me. These guys hate me. They keep calling me names, maggot and all this stuff, and names I won't even repeat here, and, you know, and, and they, they just hate me. It felt like they really didn't care about me. It was not pleasant. There were many times when I felt like I was pushed to the limit. There were times when I thought, man, I'm just not going to make it. And then that last day of boot camp... The guy that I thought, he hates me. He's out to get me. He's afflicting me. He walks in, and he had been calling me a maggot <laughs> for eight weeks or whatever. I was known as a maggot, you know? Well, everybody was. We were, it wasn't just me, but that was their, their nicknames for you. Maggots do this or do that. Finally, he says, I want to congratulate you guys. You're Coasties now. And he had a big smile on his face. And I come to find out, hey, there was a purpose in it. It was for my good. It was to prepare me so that I could be effective wherever I was sent in the military to serve so that I wouldn't be a detriment to those that I served with. 
I learned a new way to think. Because again, man, here's the party guy from California. Now I got to actually think about, hey, there's other people around me. I got to kind of, you know, we're a team. There's all these things that they that they they did into me. Ultimately, it was for my good. But during that time, man, it was it was terrible. And if you're going through an affliction this morning, you might think, man, God's out to get me. <laughs> he hates me. Why is he doing this? He wants to destroy me? No. He loves you. He has a good purpose for it. It's a, it's a, he's got a plan and a purpose for you. Learn to trust him and learn to lean on him because he loves you. It's a plan for good and not for harm. Why don't you stand up and let's go to Lord in prayer and I'll have the worship team come up and we'll close with the last worship song. Father, I want to thank you this morning. Lord, I thank you for Paul's afflictions. I thank you that we don't even know what his affliction was, but we do know what your answer was to him, and it's the same answer that you have for each one of us this morning. Your grace, it's all-powerful. It's limitless. It's available, and it's sufficient for us in whatever we're dealing with. And Lord, for those that are either listening on the internet, Lord, those that are here in the service watching or they're here in present, Lord, for whatever afflictions, whatever difficulties that they're going through, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them through your spirit this morning. Lord, that they would learn that you love them, that you have a plan for good and not for harm in their lives. And may they trust you because you're faithful, Lord. And so we thank you and we bless you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys stay standing for this last song?